You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And just like that, we're back. Late Kick Extra, the morning of Tuesday, December 29th, the year of our Lord, 2020. One of those deals. Who among us hasn't been there? We have a bomb go off near our apartment, so we have to go to our parents' house and stay for an extended period of time, one state away, and therefore the time zones are different, and your entire schedule is thrown off. Again, I say, who among us hasn't been in that position? Or, as I've been saying on Twitter lately, whomst amongst us has not been there? Well, that's where yours truly is right now. However, things could be a lot worse considering, again, a bomb precipitated all this. So, a lot of you have checked in on me, and for those of you who have no clue what I'm talking about, uh, we had a bomb in downtown Nashville, about two or three blocks from where I stay, where I live, where my apartment is. And so I am not in Nashville because uh, we really haven't had internet up there, so we can't get work done. And so again, very, very small problems compared to what could have been, but the schedule has been thrown off all week. So this is one of those situations where I am recording the morning of in another state. And so my schedule is not on producer Jordan's schedule. And so I'm trying to make sure I get things to him on time, even though I'm an hour ahead of him. So it shouldn't be an issue. Fortunately, you guys have come through and you've given me plenty to talk about this morning. It is playoff week. We got playoff games Friday. We got a lot of big bowl games this week too. And contrary to what the internet is telling you and Twitter is telling you, there are big bowl games that don't have a playoff sticker attached to them. Just a little FYI, just a little heads up. If you're of the belief that there are no college football games that matter other than the national title picture, this podcast may not be for you. However, we do talk about the playoffs, especially this time of year, a lot here. So hold on. Let me take a big sip of caffeine. Room temperature cold brew, as always. Uh, We will not name the brand because they are not sponsoring the show as of yet. Ball's in their court. We'll see how 2021 goes. But we got a lot to talk about this morning. Uh, And then first, before we do any of that, I asked you guys a couple of weeks ago, I put the old challenge out there. I put the ball in your court. And I said, we're really close. Oh my goodness, we were so close. We were at 962 five-star reviews. That's where we were. And so I thought, it's aggressive, but I think they can do it. And so again, I put it in your hands. Get us to 1,000. So you got us to 1,000. And then you got us to 1,100. And then you got us to 1,200, and now we're over 1,300 five-star reviews uh, for the um, Late Kick podcast in Apple Podcasts. Now, some of you are asking, hey, I listen on Spotify. Hey, I listen on Android. Like, I don't feel like I can be invited to the party. Uh, Well, you're at the party. You're at the party. Don't worry about that. You're at the party. You just can't give the five-star review because it's an Apple thing. Don't ask me why we value the Apple podcast product so much. I don't know. I don't know anything about this. I record it. I send it off. And then I'm done with it. Well, boy, you guys helped out. So thank you really, really, really big time for that. That was uh, that was clutch. That was a nice Christmas present from you to me, aside from you just already listening. Okay, um, let's dive into this. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm stalling because I'm trying to figure out which question I want to go with first. So the way the Late Kick Extra podcasts work, by the way, for those of you unfamiliar, is we do Late Kick Live on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, and that's Sunday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night. You get it in podcast form here the next morning after those shows. But we also do two podcast-exclusive shows per week, 
and it's mailbag. It's just Q&A. You email me, joshpate706 at gmail.com, or on Twitter, you can DM me, at LateKickJosh. Or, and don't forget, you can also, while you submit your five-star review on Apple Podcasts, you can also do a written review there, and you can put your question in the written review. We always like to get the written reviews, too. Most of them are glowing. Some are not. I deserve a healthy amount of both of those kinds of feedback. So uh, here's where we'll start this morning. I'm going to go with Kyle, because Kyle did something that I think more of us in life should be able to do. I got a squeaky chair, by the way. So if you hear it in the background, just ignore it. Very unprofessional, but just ignore it. Kyle, I admire you, my friend. Kyle is a frequent contributor to the show. So he let his guard down this morning and he said, I'm going to admit I was wrong. Greg Sankey and the SEC knew what they were doing as it turns out. So my question has become, why did they do it so much differently on the front end than a conference like the Big Ten? Kyle, it's a good question. It has layers to it. So let's work backwards. Okay, first off, as we see, the SEC was not alone. Uh, the SEC, I think, because it is the premier conference in college football, it also gets a majority of the credit, majority of the blame whenever you know they take a stance and then something happens the way it's going to happen. The ACC was there, too. The Big 12 was there, too. And as much credit, and trust me, I am heaping it on him, along with you, as Greg Sankey has gotten, I think you've also got to look at the ACC and you got to look at the Big 12. There was a recent change in the leadership at the commissioner level of the ACC, but Bob Bowlesby over in the Big 12 as well. Like they said, all right, we're going to stay in lockstep with you. And let's now let's start to reverse, okay? So we work back through the season. The SEC had built in what I called the Reservoir Week, which was December 12th. Uh, which meant a lot of their spillover games could go to that week if they got postponed, and a fair amount of them did. And they also had Conference Championship Saturday as a day where they could use kind of as a second reservoir for teams that weren't playing in Atlanta. And so they ended up getting all but two of their conference games played, which is borderline miraculous, if not outright miraculous. Uh, but the ACC got most of their games in. Now, they tampered with their schedule a little bit when it came to the end and, you know, Clemson, Notre Dame didn't play the week before the ACC title game. Listen, whatever. Uh, you can have a problem with it. I think it's, at this point, it's kind of nitpicking relative to what we thought we may be dealing with in August. And the Big 12. I got the job done, and the Big 12 suffered a little bit this year. You know, the Big 12 was out, for all intents and purposes, I, I guess we could say, they were out of the college football playoff picture, maybe on the very fringe at the end. Suffered some tough losses. Remember that week one for the Big 12? They got sunbelted. I mean, they got whipped by the sunbelt. It's a very figurative language there, but it's literal. It happened. And so, uh, but they, they stayed the course and they played anyway. So they deserve credit, but here's what happened really on the front end. Now we've reversed all the way back to decision day. I think they were playing with a different set of cards. They had an entirely different deck of cards in front of them. And really the deck of cards that the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 we're using to deal from really had at the forefront the motivation to play. And I think that they were looking for ways to play. I don't ever think it was reckless. Like as it turns out, look at the product that we got. How many guys did we see? How many games did we see canceled and guys in the hospital and serious long lasting injury as a result of this? I mean, you, we had people, I kid you not, back in the summer printing articles projecting how many college football players may die because of COVID. 
there were some really, really rash, irresponsible liberties taken both editorially and in terms of leadership positions in the sport of college football back in the offseason. When no one knew what was happening, people at the forefront of the fight from the epidemiology side were telling you day to day, hey, this is kind of changing. Like, we don't really know one way or the other. But yet you had people taking stands in newsrooms, and you had people taking stands in college football boardrooms, so to speak, that tried to preach to you that, hey, we got it, like we have a grasp on this. Well, they didn't, and some people were humble enough to admit that, and I really admired the way that Greg Sankey went about it, and you mentioned Greg Sankey, Kyle. I I really admired the way he went about it, because as much as everyone else had a take on him, myself included, everyone else had a take, and so if you were for what he was doing, you kind of painted him as this mythological fire-breathing dragon with a huge sword and shield in front of him. And then if you didn't like it, you painted him as essentially Satan reincarnate. And he was neither of those things. What he was, was he'd do several radio hits. He was very front-facing. You couldn't find Kevin Warren. He was His face was plastered on the back of every milk carton in the Big Ten for good reason, because it really wasn't his decision, contrary to what some may lead you to believe. Um, but Greg Sankey was front-facing. He was out there. He was giving updates. And every time, he very, very bluntly would say, this is changing. Here's what we want to do. Here's what we plan to do. Here is the committee that we've put together. And here are the people in the medical community we're listening to for this. If things change, then our plans will change. This is very fluid. We're pushing this back as far as we can, but also trying to start at as responsible a date as we can to give ourselves flexibility in the season, which turned out to be the big key that allowed the SEC to have wiggle room and almost derailed the Big Ten. That was the difference, really. And the other difference is, at the forefront of the motivation was competition. That was at the forefront of the motivation. And in the Big Ten, that's the problem. That was the detachment. At the forefront of the motivation in Lincoln, Nebraska, and Columbus, Ohio, and places like State College, and I'm not uh, doing an exhaustive list of people who wanted to play, but the motivation there was competition. Ohio State wanted to play as every bit as badly as Alabama did. Nebraska wanted to play every bit as badly as Georgia did or Clemson did. They wanted it. Like Penn State, they wanted it. They were very vocal about it. The detachment came in the motivation of players, Coaches, fans versus Big Ten administrative types, bureaucratic types even. Leadership is a very loose term, and I don't necessarily think it applies to what was happening in the Big Ten at that time. And just as was the case recently with the Auburn coaching search, I really believe the public had a lot to do with this. You'll never get people to admit it, but I think the public had a lot to do with it. Whereas the SEC, as Kyle asked about, they were resolute in their vision the whole time. They were convicted and determined in their ideology the whole time. The ideology, the the philosophy, the thinking behind what the Big Ten was doing, it was changing day to day because it wasn't really rooted in any strong principle. It was rooted in what they really wanted to do and what they valued and didn't value. And then they kind of tried to reverse engineer reasoning for it. And that's where the mess became apparent. And that's also where they got called out on it. And when Justin Fields and in the ACC, Trevor Lawrence, when people started speaking out, I think they listened because there wasn't really much of a backbone there. Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, I know was, again, the front facing um, 
entity for all that. He, he was kind of the poster child for all that. It wasn't him. He, he didn't have the power to say yes or no, even if he wanted to. He was speaking, as Roger Goodell does at the NFL level with owners, he was speaking for university presidents, chancellors, etc. And so then they all of a sudden flip-flop because it gets a little uncomfortable, and these are not people used to taking heat. They are not. There's a specific reason they have a Kevin Warren around. It's so they don't have to take the heat. These are people used to saying and then seeing it done. And all of a sudden, when someone pushed back, they were very uncomfortable. Well, the SEC never put themselves in that position. I mean, it sounds genius, but it really is common sense. The SEC took the approach, as did the ACC, as did the Big 12, that if we cancel this season, it's going to be a last-ditch type result. It's going to be at the deadline when we make the announcement. We're not going to ignorantly make the announcement in July or August and then see things unravel and then see public perception look back at us and say, hold up, other conferences are playing, why can't we play? Hold up. Things have changed. Hold up. The scientific picture has become more clear. Well, all those things happened between the time the Big Ten made their abrupt announcement and the time the date approached where the true deadline should have been. And that was the reversal in the Big Ten. And that was why there was no need to reverse course in the SEC. And so what was looked at once upon a time as reckless endangerment of young lives all of a sudden looked a lot different just a month to a month and a half later, and now we're several months down the road, and this is where we know, you and I, Kyle, and everyone else listening, we know the difference between Greg Sankey and the vast majority of us. Because as I tweeted out when I was watching the SEC championship game, if I were Greg Sankey, knowing what people said about me, not just random folks with 32 followers on Twitter and an egg for a profile picture, I'm talking about Actual folks with blue checkmark, long and storied tenures in sports media and news media talking about me as if I were trash and talking about me as if I were some carnival barker trying to pull the wool over people's eyes so I could bow down at the altar of the almighty dollar. That's how I was painted. And so if I were Greg Sankey and a few months later I was on that stage at the SEC championship game when I was about to hand that SEC championship trophy to Nick Saban. I may do like Dwight Schrute did in the office season, whatever, when they have Hay Place and he's crowning the Hay King. He didn't win it when he was young, so he just crowned himself. If I were Greg Sankey, I may have just crowned myself, but he didn't, and he's never taken a victory lap, and good on him. Again, really good on him, because I don't know if I'd be able to do the same thing. Kevin is next up. Got some K's this morning. We got Kevin, we got Kyle, we got, well, actually, that's only two, so forget I just said that but I'm not editing it out. All right, so uh, with that in mind, Kevin says, what does Notre Dame need to do to get over the hump? If they lose against Alabama, what does it say about the program? I'm glad you asked this because I was going to talk about it on Late Kick Live-ish tonight. I don't know if it's going to be live, but it will be on the air. Here's what they need to do. Well, obviously they need to beat Alabama to get over the hump, but what is the hump? The hump is not legitimacy. The hump is not Let's get over that, and then we'll be a good program. Notre Dame is good. They are very good. They're a great program. Right now, Notre Dame's a great program. They got a great team this year. Here's the problem. That's not the top tier in college football. The top tier is elite. That's tier one. We talk about it quite often. There are only a very small handful of teams that hang out there. Any given year, you may only have one or two. And when it comes to categorizing programs as elite, there are usually only two to three, maybe four, and that's a stretch. Notre Dame hasn't been in that club. Notre Dame has been right at the forefront, right at the front of the line of the next layer, the next level, tier two. 
So yeah, if they beat Alabama, it would feel better, obviously, than when they beat Clemson early in the year because uh, it would be in a playoff setting and they would be going to a national championship game. But I want to go back to the first part, okay? Because you asked, what do they need to do to get over the hump? Well, that's the answer. They need to beat elite teams. I guess, really, they need to win a national championship, I guess, is what they need to do because that's really what they have left. I guess you could say win a playoff game. And yeah, that would be advancement. But I want to get to the second part. The whole if they don't beat Alabama aspect. I've been asked this a lot, and they're nearly a three-touchdown underdog. So it's unlikely. I view it as unlikely, just like most of you do, if they don't win it. I was talking in our editorial meeting yesterday, I want to say it was. We were just kind of tossing around some some content ideas, and I was thinking through it. And I, was, I kind of mentioned this the other night on the show, but I mentioned it in passing, and I probably need to re- revisit it and do a deeper dive on it. I think there are some parallels right now to where Notre Dame's program is and where Florida's program is. Now, Florida, I think, as I said, chronologically, they may be a notch or two further down this road. And this is a 2020 road, by the way. I'm not speaking long term. But think about 2020. Think about what it's been for these two programs. Notre Dame, for for a long time now, the whole book on Brian Kelly has been, okay, you're good. No one's saying you're not. You recruit good, you play good, you coach good, but there's very little great here. And in order to be great, you got to beat great teams. And you just haven't done that. When we put you on the big stage, you've fallen against the likes of Alabama or against the likes of Clemson. And I mean, it's really a short list, to be honest with you. And Florida, similarly, in the SEC East, when are you ever going to beat Georgia? And it's it's not been but like four years, three years or whatever it was, but it felt like an eternity. And the current, the current iterations of those programs it felt like it's been an eternity. Okay, so what'd they do? Notre Dame beats Clemson earlier this year. They checked that box that everyone's been waiting on them to check. And Florida, what'd they do earlier this year? They beat Georgia. They checked that box that everyone's been waiting on them to check. If you could freeze that moment in time, that's it. That's it right there. They've arrived to a lot of people. Granted, you haven't won a national championship at that point, but they've checked one of the boxes that a lot of people have suggested they couldn't check. Well, they did. Okay, so Florida over Georgia, Notre Dame over Clemson. But then we start to press play again, and we watch the rest of the season play out. What does Notre Dame do? They go to the ACC championship game. They get smashed by Clemson. And now what does Notre Dame do? They're in a position to where they could potentially suffer the same fate at the hands of Alabama. What does Florida do? I know we're jumping back and forth from South Bend to Gainesville here. What does Florida do? Well, they suffer probably the most inexplicable loss of the season. They suffer a loss to LSU the week before the SEC title game is over a three-touchdown favorite. Upsets can happen. There's your proof. So they suffer that loss. Then they get beat by Alabama. Not humbled, not humiliated, but they still get beat. And their rival, Georgia, finishes the season red hot with presumably the answer at quarterback finally in JT Daniels. And where are they? Both of them now. Where are they? A month and a half ago, they had arrived. They had checked that box. Everyone had been longing for them to check. And yet here we are a month and a half later, and it feels like Florida has already taken one step forward, two steps back. I'm not even talking about my perception. I'm talking about the Florida fans in my inbox. That's what it sounds like. They put a lot of emphasis on this recruiting class and even this bowl game because they don't want to finish the season thinking that all the progress they felt like they made in that Georgia loss has eroded away. And Notre Dame, similar story here. They had a lot of equity built up. I mean, a ton of it after that Clemson win. But then when that same team plus Trevor Lawrence smashes you, and then if you get smashed again by Alabama, 
Well, in their eyes, we're no further than where we were when we started the season. We know we can compete against North Carolina. We know we can compete against Boston College. We know we're better than those programs. We should be. But it looks like we're still just as far away from Clemson and Alabama as we've always been. I'm telling you, that's where it'll be. That's where it'll be for both of them. Now, that is spoken very pejoratively by a lot of people. I don't speak it that way because I don't think that's anything to really hang your head about. To be able to look around the country and say, we're better than everybody except Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, maybe one other team in, in a given year. That's nothing to hang your head at. That's nothing to be critical of. It, it's something to long for while maintaining a positive disposition that you're better than like 97 or 98% of the rest of the sport, year in and year out, by the way. Um, so the other thing that I would think about is this. I would think about if I were to be a Notre Dame fan and I were to look at my current team, I don't think the best thing to do is to look at how you fared in 2012 against Alabama and then juxtapose that to how you fared this Friday night in the Ro- the Dallas Rose Bowl against Alabama. Because last time, it was, I think it was 42 to 14. Okay, so let's just say for argument's sake, you were to lose 44 to 14 this Friday night. So the margin of defeat is larger in 2020 than it is in 2012. I'm telling you some simple-minded people would come at you. Maybe you'd be part of this. Now, I certainly would never call you simple-minded. I think this ideology is simple-minded. That's that whole stupid people never say smart things, but smart people say stupid things sometimes. So maybe you're a smart person who would say this stupid thing. We lost by more in 2020 than we did in 2012. That means we hadn't gotten any better. We've actually gotten a little bit worse. No, you haven't. Because the proper metric would be, what do you think your 2020 Notre Dame team would would do against your 2012 Notre Dame team? And that answer, I think, would be this 2020 Notre Dame team is about mm, 8 to 12 points better, neutral field, 1,000 simulations, than that 2012 team. And that 2012 team was very good. I just think they're that much better now. I think the roster is that much better. I think they've got better play at quarterback. I think they've got better overall athleticism and skill at the wide receiver positions, again, relative to 2012 Notre Dame. So I know this is what it's all about. This isn't Major League Baseball where even if you go on an extended run where you lose 14 of 20 games, overall, you could still be the best team in the sport. College football and the sport of football, it's about individual games. I get that. I understand where you're coming from. I'm choosing to take a longer view look when it comes to gauging the strength of a program. And so where Notre Dame's program will be, I'm going to be honest with you, it won't change in my mind negatively a whole lot this Friday because I expect Alabama to win by double digits. The only thing that you could have change in my mind about Notre Dame's program from now until this day next week would be a net positive. That's the only thing that I would think differently about Notre Dame. <laughs> I had to pause the recording for a second because I started to laugh pretty uncontrollably at this next question. So Sarah has a question about a press conference disaster that, quite frankly, was averted yesterday. I don't know if you guys heard it. Uh, we will talk about it, though, right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, so Sarah said, did you see the chick, and these are Sarah's words, by the way, did you see the chick that referred to Nick Saban simply as Saban in his Rose Bowl press conference yesterday? Yes, I did, Sarah. At the time, I was very passively listening. I was doing something else, and that perked me up. I mean, the girl, I can't remember, let me paraphrase, she said something like, Saban, how do you think your defense will handle Notre Dame quarterback Ian Book? Okay, so there's this thing sometimes, here, here was my takeaway. At the Super Bowl media days, SI for kids, Sports Illustrated for kids, they'll sometimes have these competitions where they will tell a kid, uh, if you win this competition, we will let you ask a question to head coaches at the Super Bowl media day press conference. And I thought about that only because I've watched those kids ask questions before and they sounded way better than whoever this was. Not to bemoan, not to demean, but it was ridiculous. So I don't know where that came from. I don't know who that was. But it it brought about a larger question. This is why I was laughing. So of course, anytime something ridiculous happens at a press conference, I get it sent to me and then I get text messages asking about it. So I just wanted to say something. So someone else, we had another question. I'm going to kind of loop in here. Andy had asked about like the worst, I think he asked the worst questions that I had ever heard in press settings and press conferences. So here's how this works, okay? I will not apologize for stupid questions. They get asked all the time. I just want to let you in the back door a little bit of how that happens. So sometimes you may be listening to a press conference and you may think that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Or why are you asking such common sense questions? Everyone knows the answer to that. Or if you hear someone say, uh, if you were talking to Nick Saban, could you talk a little bit about Devontae Smith and how great he's been this year? You may listen to that and you may say, well, of course he's been great. What's he going to say? Like everyone knows he's been great. Why don't you ask a question about the overall health status of Jalen Waddle and we can know if he's going to be able to play? Like That's what you want asked. I just wanted to kind of try and make some sense of this for you. I'm not saying the questions aren't stupid. I'm just trying to tell you why the questions that sound stupid get asked sometimes because it's not always a total moron who's asking the question. These people are sometimes very, very bright. They just have an assignment that they need to fulfill. And so what happens, and I've done it uh, multiple areas now. I've done it in local radio. I've done it in local TV, local news. And then I've also done it from the 24-7 sports side of things. Editorially, a lot of times if you work in the print media, the digital print media, the written word journalistic world, so to speak, you obviously have an editor and you obviously have an assignment editor. I guess that's obvious. And a lot of times your plan, your your publishing plan will be laid out for the week and for two weeks. And so you know if we sit here on Tuesday morning, you know that you've got, let's say, 850 words due uh, Friday by 12 a.m., on Nick Saban and his ability to develop wide receivers. Okay, let's say that's your assignment because your editorial staff, along with your search engine optimization specialist, knows that on Friday morning, 
the names Nick Saban and Devontae Smith are probably going to be trending because that's what their analytics department tells them because they study Google Trends year-round. And therefore, they know they want a headline on the front page of their website during that time frame that is attached to a story about Nick Saban developing wide receivers. Of course, the most high profile of which right now is Devontae Smith. And so you know that already when you go to his press conference. And so in his press conference, you're trying to sort of reverse engineer a quote into that story. It's, it's sausage being made, but this is the way it works. So you walk in there, and whereas someone who is just riding down the road heading home from the gas station may be listening to that press conference and just thinking that those questions are coming off the top of a reporter's head, sometimes they are, but other times someone's been assigned a story two days earlier and they already have the skeleton of it written and they just need to go get a quote from Nick Saban. And so instead of asking really nuanced, granular, detailed questions about the team, you hear someone ask, could you talk a little bit about Devontae Smith and what he's meant to the team? Now, to you, that's a waste of a question, knowing that there are precious few questions that are able to get asked to Nick Saban because these press conferences aren't all that long. And so you get upset. I know because I listen to it half the time and I feel the same way. I want actual information, not rosy uh, softball quotes from someone. But that's how it's working. I could also put it to you in this way. Don't always assume the questions that someone in a press setting is asking is the real question they want to ask. They're not all freelancers in there. A lot of them have jobs and a lot of them have employers that understand in exchange for you being employed here and you being in that setting and you getting that access, you're doing work for us and work for us. We want to optimize to its maximum potential and to optimize those web traffic numbers to their maximum potential or to optimize our readership numbers to their maximum potential. We need headlines that grab and attached to those headlines, we need stories that keep them there. And those stories need to be about what people are most interested in. This is how it works most of the time. And therefore, if you're going to go get quote material in this press setting, I don't really think people care in large about the backup right guard's status for Saturday's game or Friday's game. But they do care about the star quarterback. So go ask 15 questions about him. That is a conversation that is had quite often in newsrooms and editorial meetings. So I hope that clears it up just a little bit. So Lance is uh, going to bring a question here that I'm, I'm going to tiptoe into. Lance said, I know that there was an announcement by CDC, so that stands for Chris Del Conte at Texas, that everything was good and Tom Herman was going to be the head coach next year, but yet there's still smoke around a potential coaching change at Texas. What say you? Lance, let me put this out there forefront, right in your face, right from the beginning. I do not have any inside information on this. I, however, have been asking a few people because I've I've heard that drum beat. So when Cresto Conte, ow, man, did you hear me hit my hand? That hurt. So when Cresto Conte made that announcement, I um, I took it at face value. Uh, to be honest with you, I didn't even read it word for word. I got the general uh, gist of what he was saying. Tom Herman's our guy. We didn't land Urban Meyer, and we'll uh, just pack it in, and we'll get ready for 2021. That's how I took it. That is not how many of you took it. And many of you have parsed those words and took it to say, well, he didn't necessarily say this exactly, and we still do have the bowl game to play, and there are still other coaches out there who have their games to play, so maybe there's still smoke. And so that drum beat initially had faded away, but then it's sort of... It's like the tomahawk chop in Atlanta. It's It builds slow, but then when the organs hit, it's very loud. And so it's been the same way from Texas. It's kind of like, all right, well, this is decided. 
And then you go on about your business and then you say, wait a minute, what is that? What is that I hear? And then you all of a sudden realize, oh, oh, the Texas message boards, Texas Twitter, there's still a drumbeat. Some people still think that there's going to be a coaching change. Oh, well, now more people think that. Well, now half the board thinks that. So I've been observing that. I don't know anything, which is a good sign for those of you who want a coaching change, because if I don't know anything, that probably means the coaching search, if there's going to be one, is being handled the right way. Now, I say that because there is also the possibility that a lot is being made to do about nothing, and there will be no search, and and Tom Herman's going to be the guy. Here's what I'm always careful of. I'm always careful of this in any situation, but I notice it in college football. It happens in recruiting, and it happens in coaching searches. Sometimes you have a leaky recruiting situation or a leaky coaching search. And by that, I mean people can't keep their mouth shut. So there's a lot of information to be had. Uh, the, the all, I've mentioned this twice now. The Auburn coaching search most recently displayed both of these. Early, the boosters were running the show. In, in the first 24 to 48 hours, they thought they were running the show. They have loose lips. And so a lot of folks had sources on this. I had a lot of information on it. You saw it on Twitter. Well, then all of a sudden, the boosters got shown the door, and Alan Green, at the behest of the president there, Jay Goosh, he took over the search, and all of a sudden, a hire came out of left field that even the closest and most inside of Auburn insiders didn't know about in Brian Harson from Boise State. Well, the reason is because the search became legitimate at one point, and the information leaks got really ratcheted down almost to not even a drip. Well, in a coaching search and in recruiting, sometimes it can be one way, sometimes it can be another way. Here is where I put a big warning label on these things. Here's where you got to avoid making yourself look really stupid, especially if you're prone to stupidity. And there's at least one person in this room who I know suffers from that. And it ain't you. Think it through with me here. If there's little to no information out there, but there is a huge thirst and hunger for information, then what happens? Someone somewhere on a message board, someone somewhere on a talk radio show needing to fill time and needing to have fresh content, they either lie on purpose or they they just kind of inadvertently speak something that may have shades of truth to it at best, but by and large is a made-up rumor. Guess what happens then? What happens then is, in lieu of there being any new real information out there, when this is the only fresh new take that anyone's heard in... 24, 48, 72 hours, it gets run with. And then all of a sudden, it's spreading like wildfire and everyone's saying it. And then it's a vicious cycle because then you walk in after a hard day's work and you turn on your iPhone, you turn on your computer and you see it everywhere and you think, hold up. Now, if one or two people are saying this, that's one thing. But everyone seems to think this. I mean, it's a consensus. So therefore, even if it's not totally true, there's got to be some version of reality. There's got to be some layer of truth to it. And a lot of times, there is none. Just because a lot of people are saying something doesn't make it true. That happens in recruiting. Like if a kid's not talking, if a kid is not giving any information, then by default, there really is no information to be had that's credible because the kid's going to be the person making the decision. But then sometimes, because there is no information, but this industry needs information. It runs on information. Um, Some... Some second cousin will tell a reporter something. Hey, I think he's going to go to Texas. Well, then all of a sudden, it's everywhere. Because someone out there on Twitter reports, a source close to the recruitment told me they believe Texas leads here. 
And then that gets run with on websites. And that gets run with on message boards. All the while, if you were to trace it back, even though the crystal ball is now 100% in favor of Texas, you trace it back, the entire premise of that recruitment was founded on flawed logic. There was none behind it. And it happens in coaching searches too. Someone may say something. Someone may even just not suggest anything, but leave a door open. Like they may say, hey, I just, I don't think that 2021 is quite decided as being a year that Tom Herman's going to lead Texas yet. You can just say that. And then people will draw their own natural conclusions. And all of a sudden, you got a snowball rolling down a hill. So I'm saying all that to say this. I don't know which case is happening at Texas. Here's what I would do, though. I'd be very careful if you're trying to look smart to your relatives and your buddy down at the water cooler tomorrow morning before you guys start your shift, I'd be very careful speaking in absolutes. Really careful. I don't care what the message board says. I don't care what Twitter says. I don't care what the talk radio guy says. Be very careful because there are very few. And here's the other thing. If this is a coaching search and if it's being run the right, the right way, not not being anyway, a right way, then there by default will be no information to be had. Again, kind of like the Auburn deal with Brian Harson. There wasn't a single Auburn insider that spoke the word Brian Harson or spoke the name Brian Harson until he got hired. And so if Texas is running a legitimate coaching search, you'll never know it. You shouldn't. You shouldn't know it. So those are my parting words for you this morning. All right, we got Lake Kick Live coming up tonight uh, in some shape, form, or fashion. It will be on. As you saw the other night, you didn't have video of me because I was in my Georgia childhood bedroom bunker studio, as I like to call it. Again, naming rights are for sale. Who, who in the front office of Lexus or who in the front office of Pepsi would not like to sponsor the back home parents bedroom Georgia bunker studio? I don't get why it doesn't already have naming rights. But I digress. Again, the advertising ball is ever in your court. Been a lot of basketball talk on the college football podcast this morning, by the way. All right. Thank you so much for the five-star reviews. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at Late Kick Josh. We've got the Ramen Noodle Express chugging, chugging, chugging along. We are undefeated in bowl season, which is kind of misleading because we've only had one game. And I would not be talking about our 0% winning percentage if we had lost that game. But we are 100% against the spread so far. So stick with me there. Stick with me here. Thank you so much for making the show a success. Happy, happy, happy to be able to talk to you somehow this week. Thank you so much. Make sure you subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel as well. And I will see you there tonight. Take care. Have a great day. And God bless. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. You expected someone else? So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. <laughs> And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.